This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, this is Arjun. To me, I love these conversations because I get a chance to talk to people from all walks of life all over the world. Today, my VIP guest is Scott Zuckerman. Scott Zuckerman has 25 years of experience in both B2C and B2B companies and had held the highest level leadership positions in management, operations, marketing, innovation, concept, product development, consumer research, strategy, and finance. Currently, Scott serves as the CEO of Mies Meals and since taking over has increased sales 5X and has expanded Mies delivery area from only Chicagoland to east to coast to coast. Prior to his current role, Scott held executive roles at Crisp Market, Outerwall, the parent company of Redbox, Potbelly Sandwich Works, Quiznos, McDonald's, and Donatos. I have, you know, in disclosure, I have been fortunate to work with Scott in different capacities. And the thing that really hit home is a brilliant mind who always has clarity on the vision, who also gets every details, but his biggest force and focus was to get everyone in the team across the finish line. Just before the conversation, I was reflecting on how Scott on one side would always be the best friend who I could confide in, in anything during the journey. But as we work together, being the gentleman he always is, he would not stop pushing me if I was not performing at my best. So having a leader at the highest level who pushes you to strive to be your personal best and elevate the whole team, that is Scott Zuckerman. And I truly am honored and pleasure, Scott, to have you in the show and call you my friend. Welcome, oh, thanks, Sergeant. That was very kind. It's great to see you, my friend, as well. Thank you. So, Scott, let's go back into an incredible career. And first of all, I just want to look at somehow everything you've done. Most of those in different ways are connected to food. What are some of the biggest learnings and secrets that you have learned that we can take from there and apply to nearly every field? Well, you know, I think I learned, I had the fortunate uh, experience to work with some very sophisticated brand and consumer folks very early in my career. I, you actually worked with many of the same uh, people as well. And it really instilled in me a thought that in the end, the person buying the product, so I, I'm focusing mostly on consumer products at this point, has to be the one that you are considering what the product characteristics need to look like. And so working your way backward from the end result of what's in the best interest of the customer and then having to optimize the profitability and the operational aspects 
um, from that, but in the context of what is going to be desired by the customer, I think that pretty much applies to any industry. I mean, even in, in a B2B situation, there's probably uh, a similar thought process relative to your clients. I love that, absolutely. Because to me, many a time we start looking at profitability first. And, you know, before I met you, my career started at Pizza Hut. And, you know, I was in one of those meetings where you are the junior most person who is somehow gets invited, like to the point where I had to even pull my own chair and sit near the door. This incredible vendor was showcasing those days, let's say we had 68 pepperonis on the pizza, how we could get in the consumer's mind nearly the same feeling, which means the consumer would not know a difference, with 62 pepperonis arranged a little differently. And then there was a plan for 58. And, you know, me being little goofy and nerdy, I started doing the math. And I even sent a note to my boss, and I don't know how I didn't get fired that way. I said, sir, the way this is going in 2020, or sorry, 2015, <laughs> let's say, the pizza will have no pepperonis. But more importantly, the consumer won't know the difference. Like, like wow, can you believe that? This is such a brilliant thing. And that's the part where the moment you talked about is start with the consumer and then work backwards. You know, can you just take me through any time without anything, you know, proprietary, a dilemma where you had to help the team see this? Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's always a tendency, like you said, to start with the profitability. So just building for a second off your pepperoni example, it's not that you need to produce a pizza that the customer um, will love that doesn't allow you to make any money. It's that you have to actually use the creativity and the expertise to find the balance of profitability, operationalization, and uh, consumer acceptance to find something that actually hits on all three because they're all three are going to be necessary in order to have long-term success. Um, you know, when we, so it, there isn't one example, it's pretty much all the examples. So as you know, when, when I started at uh, Redbox working on crisp market, which was a sort of high-end vending, you know, kiosk, automated kiosk that would have sandwiches, salads, wraps, and things like that, that people could use in an office setting. We obviously had many constraints to it, but they were all being pursued at the same time. And so when you have people who aren't familiar with that process, that's where the education has to happen on. It's not that your piece isn't important. It's that the, all of them have to work together at the same time and there has to be a give and take. And then as you've seen many times, once people are kind of in that process and they see how it works and it really relies on the collaborative nature of all the people on the team, it becomes a pretty exciting uh, process to be part of. Love that. So now get, let's get specific on the some of the key restaurant brands you have worked with. Portbelly's, Quiznos, McDonald's, Donatos. Now, what are some big learnings that we can take beyond the restaurant industry from your years with these brands? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, as I mentioned, it, it really has to be uh, a consumer first thought process. And I think that having a foundation um, for a brand that has already built is very helpful. So, you know, many of the brands earlier in my career 
that I worked on McDonald's and, and Potbelly and Quiznos, you know, they had a history and a following with a loyal base that had people who weren't just sort of being served, uh, you know, being provided a service or a product that, that met their needs. It was people who really cared uh, deeply about that brand. And so, um, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have that situation and be able to build off that success with that as sort of the foundation that there's excited excitement and passion that exists within the customer base, I think it goes a real long way toward, um, uh, you know, future success. Not to say you can't develop it, but I think, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking anything away from the early part of my career, I would say that was, I, I'm glad that I went to work for companies that had this really passionate, loyal following and, um, you know, was sort of for later in my career, something that I had as a keen piece of, you know, what kind of brands do I want to work with and where do I want to apply my efforts? Because I know what an advantage it is. Wow. I love the way you keep it so simple is like, as I'm listening to you, my advice to anybody taking Scott's wisdom is number one, build a loyal base of customers who deeply care about the brand and then build on the excitement. So Scott, when you, when you join any of these brands, all of these are big brands. Can you give any example on how you got to feel the connection for the deep connection customers had for that brand? Because each one of them are different. So how, what were some of the first steps anybody should go through to get to feel that deep customer connection? Well, I, I will say just starting off, it was both at, at McDonald's, a little bit less to Quiznos, but certainly in Chicago, where I live for Potbelly, the idea that the things that I'm working on would be newsworthy to an average person was kind of cool. I mean, so, you know, it's not a screen that you necessarily have to have in looking for a job or thinking about a brand you want to be part of, but it kind of goes back to that, you know, passionate base again, in that, um, you know, I... Uh, when I told people where I worked, if I was at a wedding, I would kind of have to have the floor for about 20 minutes or a half hour, just fielding questions about, you know, for McDonald's or Potbelly, what I was working on and what's going on there and all that. And um, certainly when I was uh, working at McDonald's doing acquisition work and it was, uh, you know, before McDonald's had really done a lot of that, obviously, you know, when that first started to come out, um, it was very newsworthy and it was, uh, you know, it was very interesting that, uh, you know, that so many people cared about it. Um, and so I used to, uh, I used to get a kick out of that. That's right. It's kind of cool to check the brand you are working with. When you talk about it, do people automatically give you a lot of time to explain or they look at you and say, oh, and they move on. So I really think that's a great, yeah. great example. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there's plenty of great places to work and great brands that, you know, aren't well known yet. But, um, you know, for me personally, it was, it was always an interesting thing. And, and then, you know, kind of, I've been building to the, this thought when it comes later to these meals, which is, you know, I initially came in as a consultant and was really interested in trying to raise capital. And when I wasn't successful because of the market conditions at the time, it was a thought that kind of hit me that said, 
you know, I have never seen, even at these other places I've worked, passionate as passionate of a customer base, even though it's relatively small, as I see here at Mies, I've just got to find a way to make this work. And so, you know, financially, it wasn't a great decision uh, at the time, but I knew that being around brands and sort of being able to control my own destiny, you know, and being in an entrepreneurial environment were uh, places that I needed to be. So I figured out a way to try and make it work. So that, you know, transitions me to Chris Market to Mies Meals. You know, what excites you about the prepared food or meals from scratch, you know, industry? So I think that it really both kind of start with the underpinning of convenience. Um, you know, there's for forever, there's been this tension that exists for whoever's planning the meals in a household, for example, between having something that I feel good about that fits into my schedule or having something that I don't feel so good about that, you know, it will fit in my schedule or something I feel good about that doesn't fit into my schedule. So the having to shop and chop and prep food and do all that, those kind of things, uh, you know, as the person providing food to a family, they feel very good about health wise. They feel good that they're actually providing for their family, but in everybody's busy lifestyle. It's very difficult to find time to do all that. So having pizza or drive through or these things, uh, you know, you do them because they're convenient, but you don't feel great about them. So I think for, for me is, the ability to kind of bridge that gap and create something that where people can still feel like they're providing for their family in a way that gets them excited and at a convenience that allows them to actually do it on a regular basis. That, that's sort of, to me, the real crux of what the problem that's being solved there, you know, on the, on the uh, office side where we were primarily going into office buildings with Chris market, it's very similar in that you have somebody who, wants to eat something that they feel is good and healthy, but they're busy at work and they don't want to necessarily take an hour because that hour is going to pull them away from their family at the end of the day because they have a certain amount of work. So being able to get something in my office building that I feel really good and is of high quality, that was um, solving that convenience issue for them in a way that really worked. So on crisp market, here's a question is, we all know that vending machines have this preconceived negativity about, you know, stale, this not fresh food, let's be polite. Okay. Yeah. And you brought great food. So what was the strategy behind overcoming that paradigm to get people to try it? It was sampling and more sampling. We, when we would go into a building or we did a couple of health clubs in a, in a uh, hotel or two, we would have as big an impact as we could to get food into people's mouths. So we would, you know, set up shop in the lobby during uh, lunch time a few times and just give out the food. And sort of the, the reveal was, this is the exact same food that you're gonna get in our kiosk that is gonna open next week or is now just open today or whatever the case might be, um, you know, right in this building and it'll be right here for you and, um, you know, it'll be absolutely no different. We're changing it out every day, fresh food, et cetera. Trying to address head on some of the freshness um, stigma that exists with uh, vending machines and to let them 
kind of come to the conclusion on their own that it's something that would be a good choice for lunch. Yeah, and that's brilliant because to me, I think listening to you, what I realized is that you were talking about product and sampling. It is the product and it is the experience, which is the true reveal because over the years, it has started hitting me hard that we always thought that marketing sitting in these cool fancy offices, corner conference rooms, looking over the golf course creates brand. I, you know, more and more I've been reflecting, I really think that it is the product, it's the experience that is the brand. Marketing talks about it, sets an expectation, communicates it, but the brand is exactly when I hold a sandwich from Chris Market and then I bite into it. That's the proof to me that I did good and I really go back to the balance that we are talking about. It's going to at least give them a reason to try you once, right? Absolutely. If they if they like it and the food was very good, that there'd be a situation where they would say, well, maybe I will try it once and see if that sandwich really is as good as it was. And then obviously it's up to you. Are you delivering it on a consistent basis if they like it? Um, but that's sort of the key. And that's, it, there's a lot of parallels. So I like how you kind of structured the question is that for me's meals as well, you know, we're doing the same thing. We're not doing it for free, but we're elim eliminating a lot of the risk. Pretty much anybody can get a 50% offer anywhere that they look even a little bit for me's. And that's because we're trying to sort of split the risk where yes, we're taking some risk on um, paying for the food and getting it to them. And they're taking some risk on getting a really heavily discounted uh, item, but that more we can do that, the more, I know, you know, at, especially at this point, having been involved with this for seven years, I know that there's metrics behind it that are going to lead to a certain amount of business that will pay off. So tr trying to get that word out and get the food in people's mouths and have them have the experience where they can see it for themselves um, by lowering the risk that they have to try, um, that's continued to be the primary strategy uh, that I've employed. This conversation spot to me is kind of challenging because every time I'm holding on to an idea and I'm thinking, wow, I've struck gold. You are dropping another cool concept. And now this last thing that you talked about, splitting the risk with your customers. You know, to me, that's what a partnership is. If you and I build a partnership, you took 100% risk and I took nothing. It really doesn't work. And well, can I, before, can I build on that for a second? Yeah, please, please, please. Actually, you're, you're totally right when you say that because I did experiment with free dinner for two, you know, so that was the sort of the, the idea with behind it. And what you get is you might get slightly higher take on people giving it a try, but you get much, much lower buy-in mm -hmm. and, and repeat. And my theory on why that is, is because when you say to somebody, you're going to love it here, try it for free. Their natural instinct is to say, well, I'll be the judge of that, mm -hmm. right? We'll see if I really like it. So they're going into the experience almost with a negative or I'm going to prove you wrong situation versus when they pay some money out of their pocket, now they're invested in it and they want it to be successful. So they're going in more saying, okay, I'm devoting a, a few days of, of dinners to this and I paid some money out of my pocket for it, I'm giving you every chance to believe that it's actually the solution that I think it is at this point. And so you're, you're coming from a situation of having to over, uh, you know, to, to exceed expectations versus just come into 
surprise them and to please them. And so I think that's where, you know, the partnership aspect of, of pe both people having skin in the game just makes for a better likelihood of a, of a good match between the, the product, you know, the, the person supplying the product and the person consuming it. So, so before we move from the subject, everybody who is listening, what is the one reason if they haven't tried, they should try Mies Meals? Scott? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So um, I would say that the uh, kind of the unknown thing is, so we're a little more expensive, we're, you know, but we're doing the maximum on the convenience side. So we're doing the chopping and the prep work and, and the uh, things that other meal kits are not necessarily doing. So it's a little bit more expensive. So I think the one thing that might hold people back a little bit is the price. But what isn't factored in when most people are thinking about it is the waste. So the food that they waste when they're doing cooking, but also food that's wasted by having to buy the spices for a recipe that never get used, having to buy the food that never actually ends up even being cooked. And mm -hmm. so when you factor all that in, I think it, you know, it ends up being a lot more of a financial win as well um, that you wouldn't think at first glance because you're only thinking about, well, going to the grocery store, this is the cost of it versus a fully prepared meal kit that comes to me ready to cook. This is the cost, you know, but there's obviously other costs that are included in, in the whole process. And where can people get Mies Meals from? Uh, it's uh, completely online ordering. Um, we're shipping to about 90% of the zip codes in the U.S. right now um, at MiesMeals.com. It's M as in Mary, E-E-Z as in Zebra, Meals.com. Thank you. So now I want to go into a personal observation of you and what I've always seen that you have been a keen observer of consumers and always you extracted incredibly simple consumer insights that most of us missed, but then you could also connect it to a business win. So as we have gone through COVID the last two years, the world has changed. What are some of the bigger trends that you're noticing coming out of COVID? So, you know, I will say, you know, we have been probably one of the few industries that has grown because of the pandemic in that it created this immediate and urgent need at the beginning for people to be able to get food at all. If you remember the first few weeks of the pandemic, it was, you know, I was receiving emails from people saying, without you guys, I don't think my parents would be able to get food right now, you know, because they're the, you're, we're getting me, they're getting me's and they don't want to go to grocery store. And so it was this, you know, urgent and, and immediate need that has continued though, for people to feel like they have good options to eat at home. And uh, I think the other, what it's done though, because that was created, it's also created the idea in people's heads that there's a flexibility to life and to the way they're thinking about it. So, you know, the time that you may, if more people are working at home now, or more people are doing hybrid work, the when they cook and how they cook and for who and all that is just a lot more flexible. So whereas people would put themselves in a very specific box of, you know, 
we cook dinner every night at five o'clock or, you know, we always pretty much get carry out every day or, or what have you. I think that, you know, it's now, and this is pretty much in all facets of life, that people have now realized there's a flexibility and a way to sort of think about dividing up my week between all my activities that uh, permeates a, a lot of industries. And certainly in ours, it has made the market for people who might say, well, two days a week, I still want to cook. And now there's an option for me to do it in a very convenient way. Um, let's see what this meal kit idea is all about. And then once they do it, you know, they realize how easy it is and, and how good the food can be. Um, you know, I think that hopefully, at least to this point, will be a lasting uh, impact of the pandemic. So what do you say when you talked about flexibility? Consumers are thinking and living a life where they feel more empowered, they feel they have more control? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and you know, just as an example of some of the emails that we do get from our customers and calls, you know, there's people who now open themselves up to the idea that they could even be a good cook. Hmm. You know, th th there's, there's men and women who say, oh, there's no way I could ever cook a, a really good meal but then they're forced to now you know for whatever reason and they tell us my family couldn't believe that this was something that i made you know, we're teaching people tricks of cooking that they can use even when they don't make these meals um because we lay it out in such a simple way and we give them the the ingredients in a way that they're able to do it and they realize, oh, this, this isn't complicated. Dredging fish isn't complicated. You know, it's, it's not that hard. I can do it. And so building confidence for people absolutely makes them feel empowered. If it's using us or if it's cooking from scratch or doing whatever they're doing, um, you know, I think that uh, it's all part of the shift that's happened in the last few years about people taking control. Scott, that's fascinating. So now I'm going to take the conversation personal. You have been an amazing leader. So now let's say you just walk into this coffee place and you meet Scott, 16 year old, Scott, 100 year old and Scott now. Okay. What would this conversation look like? like what would each of them say, ask each other? So I think that the, the current Scott and the hopefully the hundred year Scott would say to the 16 year old Scott, you know, don't be afraid to take risks um, in your career or in your life. I really had a shift in mind at one point. It was very, it wasn't sort of gradual. It was kind of, I, I dove into the entrepreneurial world at some point and then all of a sudden was willing to take a lot of risks. But I think up to that point, I was almost completely the other direction where I was just choosing the safe route the entire time and uh, doing what seemed like, you know, on paper would have been the best thing versus maybe there was some other, either getting into the food earlier or some other industries or something that I might've had more passion for. Um, and, and I truly believe that in the end, um, you know, how we interact with the other humans is really the most important skill or trait or anything that you can have. And so, you know, I've told my daughters that, you know, who are uh, kind of college age now, um, you know, the academic field of study, the first job, the career, all that, it, it really, the thing you should be trying to learn as you go through 
life is how do I make an impact on people and get people to want to be with me, work with me, work for me, you know, get things done in a team with me. You know, those, those are the things that I think allow you to really have impact. So I think that would be a big part of what the, uh, the older Scots would say. And then I guess the current Scott would ask the hundred year Scott if that advice makes any sense at this point. So I like that advice. And you know, to me, what's I think important behind that advice is many times we give an advice, but we don't walk the talk. Okay. All I can tell you is your daughters are lucky to get the advice from you because I haven't talked to you for maybe five to seven years. And this morning I woke up excited. I told my wife, even Clint wanted to be in the call because the very fact we have been looking forward to wanting to talk to you, okay? Just because we miss our buddy, Scott Zuckerman. I really think that is a proof what you're telling your kiddos works and you are the right person to talk about. If we were you know, going through the thing, like really, do I have to talk to Scott today? Clint, you do the call or I do. I really think you, so I really think that there's an authenticity that is there in the message, which I really think is very important. Thanks, Arjun. I, I appreciate it. Uh, you obviously have a, a magnetism and a charisma that also makes people gravitate to you and want to be around you as well. So I was looking forward to it equally. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate all your kind words. Yeah, I got that out of you. Thank you. <laughs> Scott, this has been a fascinating conversation. So to wrap this up, I really, I want to ask you, is there anything we haven't talked about or are there any questions you asked, like, you know, want to ask me because, you know, you asked everything I asked you. It's only fair if you have a question, I would love to answer to So your call. Uh, so I guess I would be kind of curious if you said now, from this point on for the next 20 years of your life, what, what do you see as the most important things that you want to accomplish? Yeah, to me, it just is very similar to what you gave your daughters that advice. I wrote a book long time back called Raising a Father, you know, about my journey as a single dad. And when I was ready to publish the book, I prepared this amazing marketing plan, which I was very proud of, shared with my daughter, 13 year old. She listened to everything, stretched and said, dad, are we hurting for money? I'm like, not really. She said, then why are you being so constipated about this book? Okay. And you know, Scott, I was not happy. I said, you know, I've seen this in the corporate world that you poo poo an idea, no pun intended with constipation. Yeah. But you cannot break an idea down till you have a better idea. Because I really think corporate world people do that. That is the worst thing you can do is I would rather have a half-baked idea than you leaving me with my boss with no idea at all what to do next. She said that, yes. Why don't the mission of the book be touch one person? Mm. And then I right away asked her, you know how smart I am. I said, what happens if you touch one person? She said, touch one more. And I really believe that that was the core essence I think I have learned is life is all about that one person. When you connect, do everything you can to benefit the person, help the person anyway, learn about the person and move to the next person. So my life's mantra is that one person and just build on it. And hopefully that person will, as you give your advice to your daughters, would like to spend time with Arjun. So. That's it.
Well, I read your book. I think it's great. I think you should do a follow-up for all the people that read your first book to uh, give us an update. Yes, I have already written the book, but I'm just getting permission from my board, which is my daughter, and she feels her life is too private. And the name, even the name of the book, just to put pressure on my daughter, is called The Lost Rainbows, because we growing up, or she growing up, every time we saw a rainbow, we would text each other. Oh. So when she went to New York, when she was in uh, Philadelphia, if I saw a rainbow, I would right away post you know, message my rainbow body, and that's our connection. But as she has grown, her stories are private, even though I've written a lot of these. So she has told me that gotcha. the board has still not given information. Maybe one day I'll get permission. So. That sounds good. That sounds good. Scott, this is a fascinating conversation. I truly, truly appreciate it. And, you know, what is most fascinating about this is at the core, a person stays authentic all his life. Because to me, I think that is the most important thing. I really feel that, you know, there ha must have been life pressures, financial pressures, everybody goes through. But not changing being who you are, that authentic person, putting always the brand first, customer first, but more importantly, your values first. I really appreciate that. And thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.